Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please Please follow us using your favorite podcast software. A reminder, as you are making your travel plans for 2024, uh, remember to use johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate link, so part of the purchase price benefits the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Now it's time for the conclusion of this this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial, The Nick Shern Matter, from December 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, 1955. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Dan Martin here. I was up the street when you Listen, called. Listen, Sheriff, they've traced Kathy O'Dear here to your nice little town of Brambury. Nick Shearn's boys, one of them, a trigger man named Benny Stark, came out to the sawmill hill a few minutes ago. I traded a couple of shots with him, but he got away in a car. Did he head north or back toward town? Toward town, I think. You can't see the turnoff from here. All right, Dollar. You're packing a gun. Will you take the pickup truck and block that turnoff? Hold it until I can get somebody out there to relieve you? Right. How many deputies you got? Deputies? Uh-oh. What about volunteers? Is this Benny Stark the man Kathy's afraid of? He's one of them. Then I'll have volunteers. Twenty men within a half hour, armed with deer rifles. And every one of them a dead shot. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Brambury, Michigan, to the Home Office, Tri-Mutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Nick Shearn matter. Expense account continued. Item 8, $3.60 for two packs of cigarettes and a pint of Applejack, borrowed from the foreman's locker at the sawmill. I figured these as standard equipment for holding down a roadblock at 10 degrees above zero. And Mike O'Dare agreed with me 100%. Well, I'll tell you one thing. They can make it out of corn, rye, barley, make it out of gold if they want to. Uh, but they'll never come up with anything better than what they make out of apples. <laughs> here, here, have a short one, Johnny. No, no, thanks. I'll save it for later. Well, I'll just, uh... It's got the taste of Indian summer in it. You ought to see this country around that time of year, Johnny. Breaks your heart, it's so beautiful. Well, it's beautiful now with the snow on. And it would be more so if there wasn't a killer running loose in it. Johnny, I want to ask you something about my daughter. And I want you to answer me honest. All right. It's no use trying to fool you. She's here, all right. I know. But she hasn't told me what it was that happened in New York. What she ran away from. Somehow I figured it was just as well not to ask her. Your sheriff, Dan Martin, said practically the same thing. Dan's been in love with Kathy since he was 12 years old. He's a good man. Solid. So I figured. Anyway, she was scared. Scared half to death. And she'd come home for help, so we tried to help her. What was it you wanted to ask me, Mr. O'Dare? You mentioned a murder case, Johnny. 
He didn't give any of the details, just said that Kathy was her witness. Is... is she mixed up in this murder? And you wanted an honest answer. All right, I'm not sure. I see. That's why I wanted to talk to her, get her story, the truth. I realized from the start she might be guilty. I don't think so, but it's a possibility. You may as well know about it. I guess you realize it wouldn't make any difference. Not to me or to Dan. Oh, yeah, I figured. In other words, you're with me as long as I'm trying to protect her. But you'll fight me if I find reason to think she's guilty. That's about it, Johnny. Well, at least we know where we stand. And I hope it won't come to... What's the matter? Car coming. Light on the trees there at the bend. Yeah. You suppose maybe... Probably not, but you can't tell. Better get behind the truck just in case. You'll have to shift into low to edge past us. Let me get that spotlight on. I, I guess I'll just have another quick one. That wind cuts right through your bones. It's a dark-colored sedan. It might be him. Funny. I'd been hoping for two months that Kathy'd come home for Christmas. And I didn't figure I'd be out here in the woods, hiding behind a truck, waiting to shoot it out with somebody that wanted to kill it. It's a crazy world. Keep your head down, Mr. O'Dear. Yeah. Mm, just the driver by himself, wearing a dark hat. I don't know. You know, that kind of looks like... Huh? Why, Curly, it is. What? That's Ted Perkins' old wreck. No doubt about it. And the... All right, you better wave him out past. He probably thinks we need help. It's all right, Ted. It's Michael there. Go ahead, go ahead. We don't need anything. Yeah, we're all right. Thanks anyway. Well, there's one thing about people around here. They mind their own business and don't ask no questions. And they don't answer them often either. How's that Applejack holding out? Two long hours went past. Only three cars came out from the village. And each time a long moment of tension while we waited to identify the occupants. But all of them were townspeople. Benny didn't show. One truck came down the logging road from the back hills loaded with dwarf spruce and fir. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We were waiting for an assassin, but the truck only carried Christmas trees. The night was crystal clear with bright stars hanging low on the blackness, but it kept turning colder and colder. And to leave on the Applejack didn't help much. And the wind, too, changed gradually and blew fitful and gusty and strange. Yeah, it's going to storm. Come a blizzard, maybe. Not tonight. Tomorrow sometime or tomorrow night. I know this country. I know the signs. Uh, there's an odd feeling in the air, all right. There's an even odder one in my leg. Log rolled over on it pretty near six years ago. Bothers me some in the winter. It's a lot worse, though, right before a storm. Well, that's kind of a handy thing to have. Well, that's one way of looking at it, I guess. Like one time when Kathy was little. When her ma was still alive. God rest her soul. We had a big measles epidemic here in Brambury, and every night Kathy used to add a line to her prayers. She'd say, And please let me catch the measles so I can stay out of school like the other kids. <laughs> now she's wanted as a witness in a murder case. And somebody's prowling out there in the dark trying to find her and kill her. Little Kathy, who never harmed anybody in her whole life. Some things just don't make sense, Johnny. Some things never have. There was another time once when men like Benny were prowling in the dark, trying to find a little child and kill him. 
And he hadn't harmed anybody either. That was nearly 2,000 years ago. Yeah, sure it was. I like you, Johnny. Kathy will like you, too, and little Jill. Oh, oh there's a pair for you. That kid looks more like a mother did at her age. Another than... car coming, Mr. O'Dare. Yeah, so there is. And this just might be the one. Maybe. I sure wish that Applejack hadn't run out. But it was only a couple of men Deputy Martin had sent out from town to relieve us and take over. Big men, calm and quiet, wearing plaid mackinaws and heavy lace boots and carrying Winchester 94s over their arms. They told us Benny Stark had been seen. He'd come up from the west, driven onto one of the roadblocks unexpectedly. In a flurry of shots, he'd broken through. The men couldn't understand his persistence. They thought he'd run for it, get out of the area once his presence was known. I didn't bother to explain, to put him straight, but I knew Benny had never run, not now. He was a trigger man, a professional killer with a reputation at stake. And he had his orders to silence Kathy O'Dare. A half hour later, we were back in town, turning into the main street around the village square. Strings of colored lights and a tall pine in the center of the square blinked and sparkled as they swayed in the wind. Around a hundred cars and trucks were parked in the street and in the lot behind the town hall. And the sound of singing drifted out from inside. They're practicing carols and things for the big doings on Christmas Eve. Ain't it beautiful? The men at the roadblock had given a description of Benny's car and the license number. It was just barely possible. Got something in mind, Johnny? Yeah, let's take a look through those parked cars. I don't know. If it was me, I sure wouldn't be hanging around here. I'd stick to the tall timber. Yeah, but you're not a city boy, Mike. Tall timber is foreign soil to Benny. He's only comfortable when he's close to a crowd. He the fellow that's supposed to have done that murder? No, it was the man he works for, a cafe owner, ex-gangster, a man named Nick Shern. Let's check that lot around at the side. I don't think he'd show here in front. He'd be taking a big chance showing anywhere. In a town this size, people know each other. It's his job to take chances. And he probably doesn't realize... Wait a minute. That sedan against the building with the side window broken. Seven, eight, two, one. That's his car, Johnny. Yeah, wait here. I eased my gun out of the holster and started toward the car. There were no lights in the lot, only the soft glow reflected from the packed snow underfoot. And the car itself stood in the dark shadows next to the building. I couldn't see whether anyone was in it or not. The singing seemed to swell louder as I approached... I moved slowly, watching for any sudden movement. <sighs> the car was empty. It was time, past time, to talk to Kathy O'Dare. And with the pressure tightening the danger close to home now, her father was ready to take me to her. We drove over to Dan Martin's house, where it turned out Kathy and her daughter were staying. Dan's mother had been looking after her. Dan was there when we yeah. arrived, busy on the phone. Yeah, I know the car all right. The one Jed bought last spring down in Bay City. Seven, three, nine, two. Uh, where was it parked? All right, keep an eye out, Charlie. So long. Benny Stark has stole himself another car, huh? Took Jed Wharton's station wagon. Well, what for? That was a better one he had. Charlie says the steering gear was sprung. I guess it happened when he crashed that roadblock. Well, how's Kathy and the young'un? Oh, fine. They're asleep upstairs. Uh, Mom's next door helping Mrs. Barton stuff a turkey. Johnny, you're... Uh, 
You figure it could wait till morning. I'm sorry, Mr. O'Dare. I've got to talk to her tonight. All right. I'll go wake her up. Mr. Dollar, no matter what she's done, don't hurt her any more than you have to. As far as I know at the moment, Dan, all she's guilty of is withholding information. And most people would have done the same thing. Nick Shearn's a rough boy to tangle with. She was scared, that's all. Lost her head. She never did belong in a city. She belongs right here in Brambury. This is her kind of life. Why did she leave? Well, we argued one day. And she said she'd show me. So she ran off and married that fellow. He treated her bad. Finally, he left her. But she was too proud to come back. She wouldn't have come back now if she hadn't have been so scared. Well, maybe it'll work out now. She ought to stay. Her kid ought to grow up here. Learn the outdoors and the woods like Kathy used to know it. Why, she roamed through those hills like a young Indian. Knew every trail in that forest. Every timber camp and trapper's cabin from here to the ridge. I remember one time the two of us were up toward... Dan! What's the matter? What is it, Mr. O'Dare? You said... You said Jill and Kathy were asleep upstairs. Ain't that what you said, Dan? Of course that's what I... Mike. What's happened? They're not up there. They're not up there anywhere else in the house. They're gone. Johnny Dollar. Mike O'Dare, Johnny. Any sign of Kathy? No, the boys at the highway turnoff haven't seen her or Benny, either one. Not a soul out that way in the last hour. What about there at the sawmill? Nothing, Mike. No fresh tracks on the logging road. No sign of her. And the worst thing is, it's starting to snow again. Yeah, here in town, too. Dan Martin just phoned. No luck. She hasn't shown up at any of the roadblocks. She's, she's around somewhere, and we've got to find her. We will, Mike. And it's got to be fast, Johnny. There's a blizzard coming up, and that gunman Benny Stark is around, too. Maybe he's already found her. Maybe he even took her from the house, her and Jill both. Maybe she didn't get scared and run. Maybe it was him. Maybe he's... Mike, stop and... it. That kind of thing is not going to help any... Well, what is going to help? I don't know, but I've got a half-baked idea, and I may be right. Stay there at the house. I'm coming back to pick you up. And one thing you can do while you're waiting... What, Johnny? Pray. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Brambury, Michigan, to the Home Office, Trimutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Nick Shearn matter. Or more important, find Kathy O'Dare. Item 12 on expense account, $4.90. A tank full of gas for the county pickup I'd borrowed from Deputy Sheriff Dan Martin. The falling snow was thickening now, and the wind was rising and steadying in the northwest. The night had all the makings of a blizzard. And wherever Kathy and her daughter had gone, we had to find them before it hit. It was 10.14 p.m. when I pulled up at the side porch of the O'Dare house, and Kathy's father came hurrying out to the truck, leaving the door open behind him and buttoning his heavy mackinaw as he ran. Any news, Mike? Not a thing. All right, get in. Shut the door. Yeah, yeah we'll get a foot of snow before morning, with a zero wind behind it. Now, listen, Mike. I think we can forget any idea that Benny found her and got her out of the house. 
In that case, she wouldn't have taken your car. He's already got one. I know. I thought of that. And he wouldn't have given her time to dress herself in jail the way she did with heavy clothes and snow boots. And she wouldn't have taken the rifle. Then what has happened? She knew I'd be there to talk to her sometime this evening. I think she lost her nerve, couldn't face it, decided to run again. Maybe so, but where, Johnny? That's what I want you to tell me. What? No, I don't mean you knew what she was going to do and where she was going to go or... Then help how to... do you think I can tell you? Look, Kathy knew about the roadblocks Dan Martin set up to trap Benny Stark, knew where they were. So if she didn't want to be seen, then naturally she'd avoid them. She couldn't, not if she wanted to get away, take the highway to Flint or Detroit. She'd have to pass one of them at least. But she hasn't passed any of them, so she's still in this area. And I don't think she ever meant to leave it. But then... Dan the... Martin said Kathy used to spend a lot of time in the woods when she was growing up. He said she knew every back trail in these hills, logging camps, trappers' cabins. She did. She used to worry the dickens out of me the way she... Yeah. Now, where would she go, Mike, if she wanted to hide out back in the hills somewhere? There's a lot of places. Chippewa Canyon's one. Three or four timber camps abandoned in the winter. Some cabins along the... No, no, she couldn't make it. There's a roadblock before you get to the turn off there. It's got to be some place she could reach without being seen. Well, there's... There's Barker's Flats. Oh, but that's 12 miles by foot trail. She wouldn't try it in this weather, not... Not with Jill along, anyway. Then there's... Lake Pine... No, it's over the other way. Pine Lake Road. Where's that? Runs northwest of town. Not much better than a wagon road. Dan didn't put a block on it because it dead ends at the lake about five miles out. What's out there? Nothing at the lake. But you can go on up Pine Creek about four miles on foot, and there's some cabins. Maybe a waste of time, Johnny, Let's but... get going. Expense account, item 13, $6.90. One dry cell electric lantern, an extra pair of batteries picked up at the Brambury Hardware Company on the way through town. The falling snow, driven by a bitter cold wind, formed a dense curtain in front of our headlights. And from the turnoff all the way up the narrow, twisting road to Pine Lake, I had to keep the truck in second gear. There were car tracks in the road, all right, several of them. But they were covered now by the new blanket of snow. And it was impossible to tell whether they'd been made earlier tonight or a week ago. The road ends a couple of yards past this next turn. And we'll soon know. There's four or five side turnoffs. Clearance where, where you can park. We'll have to check all of them, I guess. All right. That draw there on the right. That break there in the trees, that's that's where the Pine Creek Trail starts. Well, we'll swing in it. Mike, I guess we won't have to check those turnoffs. Huh? Is that your car over there under the trees? Yeah. That's it. I left Mike waiting in the cab while I went over to look inside the car. It was empty, abandoned. And there was no note, no clue of any kind to tell where Kathy had gone. I raised the hood and felt the motor block, ice cold. The car had been here for some time. I flashed the lantern on the ground and followed the faint tracks made by two pairs of snow boots. They ended the deep draw that led back into the hills, the start of the Pine Creek Trail. I snapped off the lantern and stumbled through the snow back to the truck. What'd you find, Johnny? It's them, all right. They've headed up the trail. I found tracks in the snow. Yeah, then we'd better get started on. No, no, wait. I'll go after them, Mike. You take the truck, go into town, find Dan Martin. Bring help as fast as you can. That storm's getting worse. No, you don't. I know the risk, starting up that trail with a blizzard coming on. And if you think you're going to protect me by sending Knock me it on... off, Mike. There's no time, and you're wrong. I'm not protecting you. I'm protecting myself. What do you mean? That bum leg of yours. I don't want you on my hands, too, along with the girls. All right, Johnny. I'll go after Dan. And hurry, Mike. I'm depending on you. Yeah. 
Good luck, Johnny. See you, Mike. I stood there in the snow watching the headlights of the truck move away. Finally, they swung around the bend and disappeared. And I suddenly felt more alone than I ever had in my life. I'd gotten rid of Mike deliberately, sent him away on purpose, because I hadn't told him everything. I could see no point in tearing his heart out. There was another car parked on beyond Kathy's, nearly hidden by the trees. Jed Horton's station wagon. The car that had been stolen by a killer named Benny Stark. It took me half an hour to cover the first mile, and the storm kept getting worse. The beam of the lantern penetrated a bare 30 feet ahead of me before it was smothered out in the white blackness of the night. After a few hundred yards, the tracks I was trying to follow had nearly disappeared, snowballed over and blotted out. I gave up looking for them and stuck to old Mike's description of the trail, following the left bank of the frozen creek. The drifts were deeper down along the creek bottoms, and the going was rougher. But I didn't dare leave it to look for better footing. It was my only landmark. The trail itself was buried. And any man who lost his way tonight and wandered off into one of those side gullies would wander straight to his death. An hour passed. Then an hour and a half, or two hours, maybe. I lost all track of time and distance. The wind cut through my clothes, and the numbing cold crept into me deeper and deeper. Gradually, the walking, stumbling, breathing, even thinking became automatic and without feeling. The world itself seemed to narrow down to a tiny circle close around me. And all beyond was chaos, blackness, and roaring storm. I tripped over fallen logs and floundered back to my feet, dropped my lantern and recovered it, broke through the crusted drifts and struggled for footing, and kept on moving. In the weird nightmare of the blizzard, I could hardly recognize reality when I came face to face with it, when a beam from my lantern touched him crouching by a tree a few yards away. I could barely accept him as being real. He'd been watching my light as I approached, waiting for me. It was Benny Stark with his gun leveled and aimed. Don't be a fool, Benny. Drop that gun. A curtain of snow swept between us then, blotting out the sight of him. I was grateful. I turned and stumbled on into the storm, moving in pitch darkness now, except for the ghostly glow from the snow-covered ground. The second shot had smashed my lantern. I had nothing left to go by but instinct and luck, and they weren't enough. Within 15 minutes, I was hopelessly lost. That's when I started hearing the music. Miles from no place where there couldn't be any music, except inside my head. The cold and fatigue were finally doing their work. I knew the signs. The next step was to start wandering in circles, smaller and smaller ones, and the last step, to drop exhausted and go peacefully to sleep. Peacefully and permanently. But the sound kept growing louder, and I moved in the direction it seemed to be coming from. It couldn't be just illusions. It had to be real. Hello! Hello there! 
Then suddenly, only a few yards away, a brilliant blaze of light exploded from the darkness. And it seemed that a golden-haired girl was standing in the middle of it. And for a moment, my sanity tottered. Who's out there? My golden vision was wearing blue jeans and a flannel shirt and was holding a rifle. She looked exactly like the photograph I'd seen of Kathy O'Dare. And the blaze of light came from an open cabin door. Who is it? Speak up or I'll shoot. Oh, thank heaven. Hold it, Miss Dare. It's Johnny Dollar. Are you getting warm now? I don't think I'll ever get warm again. You will if you don't move away from the stove a little. The back of your shirt is starting to smoke. Yeah, I, I thought I was beginning to feel something. How's the firewood? There's plenty. And plenty of food. And a radio. If I hadn't heard that music, I'd have blundered right on past this cabin. Oh, we've got everything. We can hold out for a month if we have to. And I hope we have to. What about your daughter? Is she all right? Sure. She's fine. The picnic for her... A camping trip. She's sound asleep back there in the lean-to. Dreaming about Santa Claus, I suppose. I wish I could. How did you find me, Mr. Dollar? Oh, hunch. Guesswork. I was born under a lucky star. I wasn't. Oh, I don't know. I think you've been pretty lucky, considering everything. More so than your landlady back in New York. Mrs. Grappler? What do you mean? Betty Stark went to see her. Tried to find out where you were. When she wouldn't tell him, he broke her arm. Oh, no. Oh, poor woman. Oh, it's a rough game, Miss O'Dare. Trying to play it cozy with a mobster like Nick Shearn. You know, of course, that he sent Benny here to find you. He'll have a hard time finding me in this place. He did find you. What? Maybe he followed you from the house or saw you drive through town. Anyway, I ran into him back down the trailerways. I thought I heard shooting a while ago. You did. He tried to ambush me. He thought he had the drop, and he wouldn't give up. I had to kill him. Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? Spell it. J-O-H-N-N-Y... D-O-L-L-A-R. That's not right. You forgot to capitalize. Hey, you're right, honey. Let me hear you spell your name. Okay. Capital J-I-L-L, Jill. Capital O, apostrophe. Apostrophe. I never can say that. Capital D-A-R-E, Dare. Of course, my last name's actually something else. I forget. But my mother says I'm really an O'Dare. Not the least doubt about it. I can see it in a minute. I like you, Johnny Dollar. And I kind of like you too, Jill O'Dare. You think my mother's pretty? I think she's lovely. Why don't you get married to her so I can have a daddy? Well, that's um, well, certainly something to think about. And uh, not a bad idea. Now, I'll uh, be quiet before you wake her up. I'm already awake, and with a plot like that being hatched, I think I'd better stay awake. Is there coffee, Johnny? From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location, a small cabin in the timber outside Brambury, Michigan, to the Home Office, Trimutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Nick Shurn matter. Expense account, final page. Item 15, $1 million. 
for a certain feeling. I realize, of course, that the amount of this item is somewhat unusual and may be cause for mild criticism by your accounting department, unless the accompanying report includes an adequate and detailed explanation. Therefore, to avoid unnecessary correspondence and delay, I am attaching said explanation herewith. Here's your coffee, Kathy. Thanks. How long did I sleep, Johnny? Oh, a couple of hours. It's around four in the morning. The storm hasn't let up at all, has it? Oh, it's worse, if anything. Jill, honey, it's four o'clock in the morning and your eyes are just about to fall out. Now, you go back there and go to sleep. Do I have to, Mommy? You have to. Run along now. Mr. Johnny Dollar and me were having a lot of fun till you woke up. <laughs> well, that's life, sweetie. Night now. Good night, Jill. Good night. Proud of her? I'm crazy about her. That's what you mean. She's a great little girl. She's the only thing I ever did in my whole life that turned out right. That bad, huh? Johnny, it's no good. I know why you're here. I know what you expect from me, and the answer's no. You're jumping the gun. I haven't asked you anything. You will. You haven't done all this for nothing. You're going to ask me to come back to New York and testify against Nick Shearn. I might ask you to tell the truth. Is that just another way of wording it? I didn't see anything, hear anything. I don't know anything about it, and I have nothing to say. So Nick Shearn gets away with another murder. I wouldn't know anything about that. And sooner or later, of course, he'll kill you, too. He sent Benny Stark out to do it, and Benny missed. But he's got other boys, or he might even handle the job himself. Why? By now he ought to know that I'm not going to tell. But there's always that chance you might change your mind. And Nick's a gambler, but he likes the odds on his side. He doesn't take chances. Whenever he can, he stacks the deck. I wish I could help you, Johnny. But I don't know anything about it. I left before it happened. How long have you worked for Nick Shearn? Known him? Two years. I'm not wide-eyed about him, Johnny. I've heard what he's been, what he may even still be, a gangster, hoodlum, racketeer, but that's none of my business. The club was legitimate, my job there was on the level, and he never got out of line once. And no doubt he's always been kind to his mother and loves dogs and children. I wouldn't know. Except children. He's crazy about them. He was always buying something for Jill. Asking about her. And he also shot and killed Mel Pryker. I couldn't say. I see. Well, you're letting a lot of people down. People here in Bramberry that you grew up with. People that love you. Your father, Dan Martin. What have they got to do with it? You know, it's a great country up here. I'd like to spend more time in it. And it's big country. Big and beautiful and dangerous. Like that blizzard outside there. It's not the kind of country that turns out cowards. Cowards? Your father said something yesterday. That some people belong in cities and some don't. And that you're one of the second kind. He was right. The city's made a coward of you. You don't understand. And they know it. Oh, Mike, Dan, all of them. Of course, they'll never mention it. But you're letting them down and they know it. And you know it, Kathy. They don't have a daughter to think of. It's not her fear we're talking about. It's yours. All right, I'm scared. I've got reason to be. It's easy for you to talk. You don't know what fear is, what it can do to you. I don't. It can push you and drive you and make you do things you hate yourself for. And it can destroy you. How would you know? How would any of them know? Who haven't felt it, who haven't been there. Kathy, you're not alone. We've all been there. It's not the fear that's important. It's the courage you bring up to fight it. I've tried. I've... I've nearly gotten crazy trying to think it out. But it always comes back to one thing. Jill. 
She's what counts. Nothing else matters. And if you love her, teach her to grow up without fear. Sacrifice anything if you have to, even your life. But teach her courage. There's nothing greater you could do for her. <laughs> it's all right, Jack. It's all right. It's all right. I knew what was right, Johnny. I knew all the time. Sure, sure. Of course you did. All you needed was a little push. Want to tell me about it now? I... I was there at the club that night. When it happened, I stayed after closing. I had some presents for Jill, and I wanted to wrap them before I took them home. Nick and Mel Pryker were upstairs in the office. Nick was there? Yes. I could hear them arguing. They didn't know I'd stayed, and then... Go on. I heard Mel yell out. He said, no, Nick, no. And then I heard the shots. Yes? I didn't even think. I ran up to the office. Mel was lying on the floor, and Nick was standing there with a gun. He told me to get out and to keep quiet if I wanted to keep on living. That's it, huh? Yes. Would you make a statement to the police, testify at the trial? Yes. Oh, good. Will you help me, Johnny? Will you stand by me? You know I will. You've got to because I'm scared. I'll be scared all the way, but I'll do it if you'll help me. I'll help you, Kathy, all the way. Why don't you curl up here and get some sleep? Come on. Maybe now I can sleep. It's going to be all right. Thanks, Johnny, for giving me the push. Oh, sure, honey. You know something, Johnny? I'm with Jill. I like you, too. She went to sleep with her face against my chest. And after a while, little Jill came tiptoeing in and curled up on the other side. And I sat there holding them both, thinking and waiting for the dawn. So that's what I mean about a million-dollar feeling. True, it wasn't my little girl, or my big girl, either. But for the moment, at least, well, that item still goes. I'll still tag that feeling at one million dollars. And I was sorry when the storm was over and a rescue party came out from town. Because I felt I'd had one moment in a lifetime that I'd never find again. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen when the snow lay round the The big event of the year in Brambury was the Christmas Eve show in the town hall. There was music and a pageant and singing and everybody took part in it, from the youngest kid in town to the toughest old grizzled lumberjack from the back hills. Jill was in the children's chorus, and old Mike was to operate the spotlight, so they went on ahead. I took Kathy. And since she wasn't quite ready to face people yet, we made a point of getting there late. I didn't care when we got there, as long as I was with her. We slipped in quietly and took seats at the back of the room. The string group from the high school orchestra was playing, and no one noticed us. Not even old Mike, Kathy's father, who was working the spotlights. I hope Jill does all right. She hasn't had any time to practice with us. Oh, she'll do all right. We'd been there about ten minutes when somebody else came in and slid into the one seat between us and the door. I didn't look around until I felt Kathy stiffen beside me. Oh, no. It was Nick Shearn. Nobody gets excited now or makes any sudden moves. We just sit here quiet like. He slid his hand over to feel inside my coat under my arm. Now packing around, huh? Perfect. I'd left my gun at Kathy's house. Old Mike had been dubious about it, but with Benny dead, I'd seen no reason to carry it. 
And after all, it was Christmas Eve. All right, now we're going to ease out of here now without attracting no attention from anybody. You're crazy, Nick. You're Shut crazy. up. And just don't forget one thing, Dollar. I'm not holding this gun on you. He's aimed right at the middle of Kathy's back. Let's go. Johnny. No choice, Kathy. Come on. The back of the room was dark. Nobody paid any attention. Somebody was always leaving or coming back in. Come on. I got a car over at the side here. Johnny. Watch it, dollar. We'll be right back, Mike. Just gonna get some air. All right, Johnny. But don't go running out before I give you your present. Huh? Here. And don't uncork that until you're ready for some serious business. All right, I'll... I'll... Re- Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. Don't mention it. Good luck, Johnny. Yeah, come on, let's get away from here. Johnny, he's going Take to... Take it easy, Kathy. Wait for me! Now what? Oh, no. Jill, go back! I want to see Uncle Nick! Why would you tell me you were coming here to hear me sing, Uncle Nick? Well, uh... Uh, listen, Pick me Jill... up. Please, Uncle Nick. Take your hands out of your pocket and pick me up. Uh, look, Jill, you run along now... Who's that? Dan Martin. He's a deputy sheriff, and he's a dead shot. Better do like she says, Nick. Take your hand out of your pocket and pick her up. Uncle Nick? All right, reach in my pocket, Johnny, and take my gun. Later, Kathy and I walked around outside. We could still hear the children's chorus singing inside. Jill saved our lives tonight. No, she saved Nick's life. What do you mean? That present your father gave me, up there at the spotlights. He could see what was happening, and he thought real fast. That present was a gun. Then you... I had Nick covered from the time we stepped off the porch. I'm glad he didn't move. I'm glad it happened like it did. Yeah, so am I. I thought we'd never see those stars up there again. You kept hold of yourself, Kathy. You showed a lot of courage. No. But maybe I can learn to show it. I was just thinking, Johnny, looking at the stars up there. There was fear in the world then. Two thousand years ago. And he had courage. Expense account item 16, $230.40, incidentals in Brambury, and transportation for two adults and one child, Brambury to New York. Expense account total, $486.20, end of account, end of report. Remarks? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you, from all of us here on the program. And God bless you. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Virginia Gregg, Peggy Weber, Don Diamond, Ben Wright, Jack Crucian, Barney Phillips, Sam Edwards, and Ken Christie. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Well, I'll be honest. This is my all-time favorite Yours Truly Johnny Dollar cereal. And there's so much to talk about on this one. We'll start with some of the smaller items and then go into the big overarching themes as we get to the close of the commentary. First of all, let's talk about the scene with Johnny on the trail in episode four, looking for Kathleen and dealing with Benny Stark and a blizzard. This is simply some of the best radio you will ever hear. with the mix of music, sound effects, and Bob Bailey's narration and acting just grab your attention and carry the scene through. And this is actually the only scene that I've ever actually paid someone to animate. And I'll include a link to it in the show notes. It's fascinating to see how they interpreted it, even if the pictures don't quite match the vivid ones that would be in the heads of most listeners. It's just such a well-executed and suspenseful and dramatic sequence. And, of course, that comes down to Bob Bailey. And let's just appreciate how good he is in this serial. Bailey is praised oftentimes for being the best Johnny Dollar actor But in this serial, I I think it really is at another level. He has so many great scenes. And really, his performance is just a a masterclass. And having listened to the serial a few times, this time through, I noted some of the actors. And uh, the first few times through, I was so into the story, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. But I noticed that you had a couple of actors Actors in this who were playing parts that were very different from the sort of roles that you would associate with them. Now, Ken Christie tended to play a lot of generic cops and policemen. Uh, it wasn't exclusively, but that's probably the most common role I've heard him in. And of course, he had ongoing roles as Lieutenant Johnson on Let George Do It after Wally Mayer was no longer available to play Lieutenant Riley. And he was also the second actor to play Noah Danton on Mystery is My Hobby. And in the serials, uh, Don Diamond, I've noticed he plays a lot of younger, edgier, hipper characters. For example, in the Broderick matter, he played a jazz musician. In the Quibono matter, he played the guy who was running the underground club, sort of tough from the city. And that tended to be his roles. Yet in this one, Ken Christie plays Old Mike and and Don Diamond plays the sheriff's deputy and I think it really works well. I, I don't think I've ever enjoyed a Ken Christie performance more than in this story. The start of the final episode was really interesting from a character perspective. Not just for the way it handled the Johnny Dollar opening in a very different way. Because Johnny, of course, is a bachelor. And that's a conscious choice. If there's any part of the character that carried over from the O'Brien era, it may be 
from that one story where Johnny said he didn't like policemen's wives and it was applied to both policeman, detective, what have you. And what he meant by that is he didn't like what the job did to them and how hard it was on them. And so Johnny sees a really strong conflict between his job and having a family life. And he loves his job. You know, plus the fact that his heart has gotten broken so many times probably doesn't help matters. Yet in this brief moment, Johnny indulges in a bit of imagining what if or what could have been, but which he never expects to happen. I think that the fact that Johnny has conflicting desires about family life actually makes him more interesting than those sort of characters who you just know they're never going to get married and have no interest in anything other than their work. And I think it's really particularly well handled in his interactions with Jill. As for the story itself, it's such a story of striking contrast. The majority of this serial, after like the first episode and a half in New York, takes place in Brambury, which feels like the sort of town a Hallmark movie would be sent in. Instead, Johnny's hunting for a killer. The contrast between the Christmas atmosphere and the deadliness of the situation occurs time and time again. Christmas music is often played at times of extreme peril. It's such an odd but intentional juxtaposition. The conversation between Mike and Johnny in episode 3, when Johnny compares Benny to those who hunted baby Jesus, uh, drives home the point that this contrast between the spirit of the season and the cruelty and harshness of the world has always been present. I think there can be a view that Christmas, with its joy and hope and peace on earth, really can only fit into a sort of idyllic place, a sort of fantasy, because reality is far harsher. Because the more we look at the world and all that goes on, the more Christmas and all of its themes uh, can seem out of place. Yet one of the big themes of this episode is that evil in the world and Christmas have always coexisted, and so they coexist in this story. The other big theme is courage. Johnny's confrontation with Kathleen, as well as her final line, really drive home this theme. And the idea that fundamentally... Christmas is about courage. It takes courage to celebrate peace on earth and goodwill toward men in the face of all the evil and heartache in the world. To do the right thing in your life all the year round, no matter how fearful the consequences might be. And it explores this idea through the Christmas story in what I think is a really effective way. The Nick Shern matter manages to be a very good detective story and also a very good Christmas story, while also offering some unexpected thematic depth. Its acting is on point, and its use of music to 
drive the themes home is effective without ever feeling overbearing. I'm of uh, the opinion that this is one of the truly great audio dramas ever made. It's an all-time classic, and it's always such a pleasure to share it with you. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we have an email from Tom who writes, Adam, I've been enjoying the old-time detectives Christmas shows very much. Before my time, but a really interesting glimpse into the not-too-far past. Well, thank you so much, Tom. And now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Jonathan. Jonathan has been one of our Patreon supporters since March of 2020. He's currently supporting the podcast at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Jonathan. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back a week from Tuesday with our next Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial, as we'll be bringing you encore presentations starting on Sunday and continuing through New Year's Day for our recording break. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet, where... Sure, a lot of people from the Mission Church come in here. Do people ever come in and sell back a religious article? Like a prayer book or rosaries? Yes, sir. Second hand, you mean? Yes, sir. Not since I've ever been around. It's silly. Why? People don't have religious articles so they can get rid of them. They have them so they can have them. But if a man had a statue and wanted to sell it, he'd come to a place like this. Sure, but he wouldn't want to sell it. He would if it was stolen. No, sir. If a man was to steal a statue, he'd be crazy or something like that. The only place he'd want to go is where crazy people are. You may be right, Mr. Flynn. I don't know what you fellas are looking for, but if it's somebody who stole a statue, he's crazy and you won't find him. You won't find him as long as you live or in a million years. That should cover it. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. <laughs>